Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing... Super Mario Brothers, directed by Annabelle Jangle and Rocky Morton, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang by Shane Black, Moneyball by Bennett Miller, Demonic by Neil Blomkamp, and we have newly released Spencer by Pablo Lorraine. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Thomas, how's it going? Uh, it's going all right. It's going all right. How's your week of movies, man? Uh, not not the best. Not you know. I mean, obviously, folks at home, you hear that's a pretty wacky list that Tom just rattled off. Uh, was was a decent week in movies. I think we're coming off of a lot of theater releases. Uh, so there's a there's a lot I've been watching on the side, and I think uh, I'm excited to give a spotlight to it at least. And, okay, and give a talk about it. Okay, well, let's start with something kind of uh, yeah, wacky and weird. <laughs> kind of light. Uh, <laughs> kind of as light as it comes. But going back to 1993, it's the Super Mario Brothers movie, and by, directed by Annabelle Jankel, Rocky Morton. I, I, uh, <laughs> how did it go, man? <laughs> so I, I think uh, crossing everyone's mind, this could probably be the question, uh, why the hell are you watching the, the very infamous Super Mario Brothers movie? Of course, uh, the news broke uh, semi-recently that Nintendo will be licensing uh, a new Mario Brothers movie uh, with uh, a star-studded cast, uh, Chris Pratt as, mm-hmm. as Mario. Yep. I wanted to give it a shot because I think the Mario Brothers movie was something that everyone pretty much wrote off. Uh, it is a very infamous film. And I wanted to give it a shot to see what that kind of era of Nintendo licensing was like. What kind of passing off the IP of Mario looked like back then, uh, and maybe draw some comparison for when the new movie comes out. I was, I've got to be honest here, not not too surprised by this film. I was surprised by how I think acceptable as a '90s uh, prop-filled action comedy it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it definitely wasn't catastrophic to watch on screen which is what i was kind of expecting and definitely the uh the legacy of this film you say this film this is kind of something that you would even pass in blockbuster and probably never pick up back in the day yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) i would say that's one of these movies for sure yeah i think for for me i wanted to also look at it because folks video game movies are terribly bad i i foresee 
video game movies coming more and more into the mainstream. I think for the success that the Sonic movie had and the recovery, honestly, that it had from uh, very rocky starts, I think Hollywood studios are really going to go ham into this. Uh, the fact that uh, Illumination as the as the animation studio behind the Mario movie, something so... Uh, in the spotlight right now off of Despicable Me, I, I think that was something that I wanted to look at the source. What is the first attempt as Mario? And I got to be honest, uh, you know, yes, this holds a candle to why this movie is so hated on. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, laughably so little to do with Mario itself. But I was surprised how much it did kind of work uh, or at least you know had a passing grade you got out with it with your skin still on of having just kind of a wacky 90s movie I do not think it was it was terrible I think one of the things that this movie gets a lot of flack for is its realistic elements uh the fact that the Mario Brothers are Plumbers, literally plumbers, right? Literally, <laughs> literally Brooklyn, literally dinosaurs. You know, right, I, right. It, there's there's a lot there to unpack, and I think it's the the real comedy in this film that both works and what what doesn't. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. When you look at this film and you're expecting Mario and you're expecting you know Mushroom Kingdom and yada yada, this is tonal whiplash when you have. Uh, Mario showing up literally with, you know, Catholic Italian <laughs> stereotypes, you know, gold chain around his neck. You know, it, it, it is a little bit much to take in. For me, though, I, I tried to enjoy this film both as a Mario movie, but both as just kind of going in fresh to this movie. And I think, no joke, this movie, as far as its comedic chops, uh, John Leguizamo and, uh, oh, pretty, Who was pretty young. Yeah, young, very young, um, very young. And then we have uh, Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins. Uh, they work on screen as a <laughs> comedy duo. I, I think if you're going to sell the idea of these are the Mario and Luigi, they are honestly great together on screen. <laughs> Whether it's funny just because it exists as just like a, an absurd uh, dressings to this uh, this Italian brother type of comedy uh, that quickly goes into a fantasy realm, I, I, I was surprised how much I didn't hate this movie. Uh, and, I, and I really do challenge a lot of people that if you have this this notion that this movie is a no-go, no way, the worst of the video game movies, I'm right, telling you right. right now, this is not anywhere close to the worst of what a video game movie can be. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a lot of stinkers out there. Yeah. Oh, so maybe we should do a special. Oh, don't, no, of that. don't force okay, me sorry. to. <laughs> sorry, I mentioned it. <laughs> I Originally, there was a plan to, because there's a new Resident Evil coming out, mm-hmm. uh, and originally the plan was to maybe pair that with, with the old Fifth Element girl. Oh my gosh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she does so many of those Resident Evil that's movies. That's right, oh my gosh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's a perfect example, though, because like, this movie is a good time. Bottom line, wow. I would take this any day of the week over any of those movies. You know, that's that's very surprising. Was it? Do you think you enjoyed it even a little bit more just because of the surprise that it wasn't bad? You know Maybe what I mean? There like, could be like a honeymoon phase with that. I, honestly, right, right. I I think the jokes though they 
they're legitimately funny. I think there's some serious writing chops to making Mario and Luigi likable together on screen. I okay. think where the movie kind of falls apart is where everyone has a gripe with it that, you know, they are talking that Bowser's like part of real dinosaurs and, and, okay, and, right. and you know, just one of the craziest 90s sets with props. <laughs> and there, there's this weird electrical system that the that the Mushroom Kingdom or, or the city that they go to runs on. And there's like cars and it's like oh this is not definitely not Mario but okay. again my the, the cornerstone of where I'm coming at with this review is that this movie works as a comedy with some Mario dressings it definitely doesn't work as a Mario movie right okay that's uh, a good distinction there yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think returning to a movie like this you know over uh, you know, close to 20 years mm-hmm. now yeah 30 isn't, isn't that what you want out of a movie that probably isn't going to live up either way to the modern Mario dressings of what Mario is and the Mushroom Kingdom mm-hmm, and everything mm-hmm. like that of the brand. Right, right. This movie stands apart because it can, I think it can hold up as a comedy entirely separate from that. And I think that's something to maybe note. Again, I, I don't get me wrong. The fact that there is a Mario movie that is just like eight ways not Mario. <laughs> <laughs> It it is it is still enjoyable and uh, I, I think was was a pleasant surprise for me with a lot of this. Um, I think the as far as the concepts here uh, and 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 the callbacks of what this movie can do. This movie, honestly, I was I was fearful it could have been very you know Space Jam two that it's just like oh you know, yeah constant, you know this is not a modern. The modern approach uh, that we would see today to a brand movie, any kind of brand, uh, is not present here. And I think also that was refreshing as well to watch in, you know, 2021. Sure, sure. So with that in mind, does the humor outside of Mario work? Sure. Does that make it a good reputation of Mario? No, uh, and absolutely not. I think the creative interpretation of Mario and the universe is borderline insane. I think they went in. <laughs> I think they went in a writer's room and they tried to attach it to real life dinosaurs and real life Brooklyn and real life plumbers, and it was just oh, it that those are the elements that don't work. It adds an absurdism to the film, and if you once again, if you can kind of just separate from watching this as a Mario film and wanting the the what we all know Mario to be uh, I think it's it's gonna kind of doom it but when it comes to the parts that work with this film the comedic chemistry <laughs> the the uh, characters and some some of the even the the action sequences the action put very loosely but you know the the excitement on screen it really it works more than it doesn't, uh, and, and that that's where I'm kind of coming at with this with this. But uh, I can't avoid the huge elephant in the room that this is this is a a nightmare of an interpretation of Mario. <laughs> uh, it, quite literally, the the mushroom people, the, the like mushroom um, toadstool, the 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 ruling class, they are uh, like. Lovecraftian mushroom fungus creatures they're disgusting <laughs> to see but it's it's kind of funny for that reason like it's course, just so absurd yeah, it's, it's the absurdity so absurd. of it all right right absolutely 
but uh, <laughs> very 90s uh, and very plainly not Mario, but, you know, remember, this this came out before Mario 64. Mario did not have a voice yet. Uh, yeah, the concept of Mario was very loose. Yeah. It was very, yeah. It was very broad, and, and you could really do whatever you want. Yeah, and interpretations of Mario in pop culture, I think it was Mario 3 in The Wizard, that one really old movie, and we don't really see him. I mean, I guess you have, like, the cartoon and whatnot, but Mario, as we know, it hasn't solidified yet. So I think... Yeah, it's true. It's this true. taking a different route, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's true, yeah. yeah it, so. it, it would, if you made this movie today, it would be a lot more ridiculous. Right. Because, right. because we have an additional 30 years of Mario. Exactly. Right, Exactly. Right. So with the brand not being... I mean, it, definitely Mario was a was a heavy hitter. I mean, of course, this is a Hollywood be- movie being made out of, uh, mm-hmm. after, after, after the, the brand and the property. I still think there is more credit to going in a creative direction while the concrete isn't set just yet. Uh, and again, it resulted in clocking this movie much higher than probably anywhere you would see online as a <laughs> as a positive review of this uh, because it is it is something else to watch. I do not think it was necessarily bad though. Bottom line, oh, I nice. think watch this movie like any other '90s comedy, and it works more than it has any right working. <laughs> uh, we will go ahead and give Super Mario Brothers. Uh, 53. Okay, 53. Yeah. Nice. I, uh, considering that some of the, I, I would say most of reviews for the last, you know, 15 years uh, in online discourse for this movie has been, you know, total trash, uh, I think that's that's. I think 53 is more than fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's almost like we should treat it like it's almost an 80 or something like that. <laughs> Just for the shock Give value. Give it a shot. Yeah, absolutely. Give it a shot. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. I really like that. Yeah. I like yeah. how something scored a 53 is actually a nice surprise. I, 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 absolutely. It's punching up for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to keep it going then. We're going to do Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and directed by Shane Black. How was it, Vin? We have Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. and uh, Val Kilmer together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Michelle, uh, what was her name? Michelle Monaghan? Again, Monaghan. Monaghan. Yes, Monaghan. yes. Yeah. I love her in, in True Detective. Um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang basically is a, a very dark comedy, very fourth wall breaking comedy. Um, I Watching this movie... Uh, it seriously gave me Deadpool type of vibes off really? of this. Yeah, uh, Robert, in what way? Uh, Robert Downey Jr. His character will is talking to the to the to the audience in a in a fourth wall breaking mm-hmm. narrative almost you know constantly in this film. Right. Okay. Like, I think uh, as. Shane Black's directorial debut, I think this works. There's definitely a lot of passion uh, in the movie of the type of story he wants to tell and the type of expectations of a murder mystery wrapped up into a dark comedy and what Shane Black wants to get across on screen. It is very self-referential. It is very there's there's a critique of Hollywood wrapped up into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can definitely tell a lot of these concepts were cooking in Shane Black's writing career for some time. So having this as his directorial debut, I think, is a pretty nice match. Uh, I was not too hot on this movie though because, bottom line, there is a lot, a lot of Robert Downey Jr. and not particularly the R R D J uh, that we're used to because. 
this is more of a manic, uh, more of a high-strung type of acting style before he, hmm. I think, mellows out a little bit in, uh, in, in obviously, his Marvel stage. Right, yeah. This is uh, 2005, so it's a few years before he takes up mm-hmm. um, the Iron Man and kind of that Robert Downey Jr. that we know today. Yeah, uh, and, and I think if, if for me, I like Robert Downey Jr. I found this to be a little bit annoying, his his fourth wall narration. I think this movie is a hard pass if you do not like Robert Downey Jr. because this is like 100% his DNA as far as you know him yeah, being the main fair. character and, and whatnot. Also, secret Christmas movie. <laughs> yes, which is always great. <laughs> yes, always on the hunt. Uh, folks at home, if you have any movie that is not billed as a Christmas movie but has the mention of Christmas in it, uh, <laughs> a tree, light, uh, a Christmas song. It is a secret Christmas movie. So that is uh, a week. We that's a little bit of a plus, huh? Yeah, that <laughs> there's a, there's a subcategory to that uh, subgenre of secret <laughs> Christmas movie. I think the fourth wall breaks are are constant in this movie. This is a movie about a criminal that turns into a wannabe actor and then gets involved into a Hollywood elite type of storyline. I think a lot of movies have done this. Crit- look at at a, a inner Hollywood kind of seeing the cracks since 2005 or, mm-hmm. or whenever this came out I think a lot of movies kind of lay that 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 go after this topic really do land in the same spot for me that I I just personally do as a reviewer as a watcher I do not find it overwhelmingly interesting to create a narrative out of like a Hollywood elite. Obviously, this is this turns into kind of a mystery dark comedy, dark comedy all the way through. I think that's where Shane Black's DNA is really taking over for this story because he wants to uh, give this story of he 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 wants to tell this this uh, this gritty inside look how shitty these people are mm-hmm. type of look at Hollywood and I think that works to an extent I think for me though I have to be self aware that uh, I just don't care my 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 level investment is just not there for these films. Interesting. I would say uh, on a Higher brow, something like a, a Hail Caesar, even from the Coen brothers. It's not grabbing my attention because I, I just don't really care about it, whether it's a golden age of Hollywood or anything. Uh-huh. It's just not not for me. Does that make sense? No, it absolutely makes sense. It's it's No, it makes sense completely. That's really interesting, though. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, that's... Um... I don't know how I feel about it personally, to be honest with you. I'd have to think about that. But I, I have watched movies before, and it's just that feeling of you're sitting there, and, and you're just like... I don't even care about this movie. Like, why do I yeah. care about this movie? That's yeah. I, I mean, I've definitely had that before. That combined with a very um, heavy-handed narration from Robert Downey Jr., very fourth-wall-breaking type of writing, and I think the what what tops it all off, and unfortunately, in a little bit of a bad way for me, is all of it is very Shane Black style. This is more his crass uh, and his his kind of dirty jokes or his kind of um, balance boundary breaking, trying to intentionally cross a line type of jokes that you see in his earlier writing. It has less heart than what we see in something like Nice Guys, which I am a huge, huge fan right, of. Right, right, which is another duo. Right. You know, another male-focused male, male uh, focused duo. Absolutely. So when it, when it comes to some of the development there for Shane Black's writing and, and his directing style, I think this definitely feels like an earlier work, and I note it because watching this in 2021, while I was not... 
uh, against any of the jokes or anything like that. Uh, some are very funny. Some are self-referential within the movie itself. It is uh, something that I just don't think is going to age well. You give this another five years, I think this really? is. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I think this is ripe for canceling, if I'm being honest. Wow, okay. Yeah. If uh, people care about it that much. Right, right. Who really cares? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a dark comedy from 2005. Yeah, you know? it, this has always been. Everyone has heard of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang mm-hmm. though before. Everyone's like aware of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, it get, usually gets uh, mild, mild praise, I would mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Um so any redeeming qualities with uh, Val Kilmer? Did he save it at all? I think Val Kilmer enc- encompasses some of that crass humor. Okay, um, sure. So I-, I liked him on screen. I certainly want to see more with Val uh, now that he has some some, some medical problems. Right, right. And, you know, I mean, I think that's that's good to return to the work while the actor is still alive. I think on it, the truth of the matter is Robert Downey Jr. just takes such a front and center... Uh, presence both on screen wow. and then with the narration on top of it, he's he's consuming a large amount of the pie. Right, right. Uh, and he's not necessarily sharing the screen time. Granted, he's the main character here, so that's fine. But I think again, it it's it's our DJ's show, and I think if if you're not a fan of that, then uh, that's that this got to be a hard pass. Wow. That. Okay. That's yeah. real. That's 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 interesting. I wasn't I wasn't expecting you to be almost annoyed. By Robert Downey Jr. I, I think for me, I, I and as someone that likes him, if I got a little bit of a sense that okay, all right, let's keep it moving, you know, what I mean? yeah, that uh, that's saying something. Then. Th- yeah, exactly. Yeah, then yeah. I think I need to take it a step back and realize, wow, this really may not be for someone that that hates Robert Downey Jr. or his just or, delivery or, and right, or it doesn't actively hate or like just as Ant with him. Exactly. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, most of all, where the movie falls short is kind of development and arcs. Uh, has all the manic moments and the clumsy comedy and the clumsy action that you would see in the nice guys uh so it's there mm-hmm. and, and and really I was primed to love this film because when I see that all play out, it, it reminds me of what I love so much about the nice guys. But it was interesting because if if you look at the type of comedy writing and mixed in with action in the nice guys, it's always paid off with heart. There's a heartfelt moment uh, following it up uh, because of the fourth wall, very meta narrative in this movie. Uh, every single moment is played off with a joke or a fourth wall break from Robert Downey Jr. Uh, And I think it just plain loses my interest because we have these, you know, pretty, you know, maybe not identical, but very similar type of clumsy action playing into comedic moments. Right, right, Uh, yeah. Almost to a T, what Shane Black crafts to work in, 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 you know, what I think is probably his best movie, uh, what the payoff isn't there, what's missing out of the formula is that there's no... There's no kind of bringing it home. There's no heart to it. Mm-hmm. It's all played for a joke, and all of it comes off much more cheap for that reason. Not necessarily bad, because, again, it probably gets two-thirds of what works in that formula right, right uh, but it does not bring it home for yeah, sure. Yeah, that makes sense, though. Yeah. Yeah. I think this movie uh, is definitely a recommend. Let me let me give some perspective to the other side. Definitely a recommend if you absolutely cannot get enough uh, of Robert Downey Jr., maybe if you watched uh, Doolittle or something like that. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> you need some more. You know, this is much earlier in his career. I was interested in possibly diving into some more works around his his career, like Chaplin and whatnot. Sure, you know, got some yeah, Oscar, yeah. Oscar nod for. I think the mix of self-aware, fourth wall breaking, wasn't exactly in the mood for that. 
I, I just was not too hot on this one. I don't necessarily think it is a bad movie. Uh, I just don't think it is anything that you really need to be crawling and it lacks finding. A, it time lacks importance for. almost. Yeah, lacks heart, lacks punch mm-hmm. for that reason. And more than anything, I think the style of comedy is going to seriously hurt future watchings on this. Interesting. Not and again, I can't stress enough. Not that I have any problem with the type of comedy that's there. I just think the mix of everything without that heart is going to kind of damn this film a little bit for future watchings. Other than that, uh, lukewarm. Certainly, I I know Shane Black has done better. I am excited to maybe see more of his filmography, excited to dive into more of Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, performances earlier on in his career, at least for this one. Not too hot coming out of the gate. We're going to go ahead and give Kiss Kiss Bang Bang a 57. Okay, 57. That's That makes sense with how you were talking about it. I would say, I think it makes a lot of sense in the fact of how you said, you're like, it's not a bad movie. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily bad. It's just not doing much for me. Mm-hmm. It kind of looks like, yeah, in the 50s, that kind of makes sense then. Yeah, yeah. And it feels it, very early 2000s as well. I mm. just think it, it's, it dates itself. Uh, now, you if know. you do love a Robert Downey Jr. and you love him being him, mm-hmm. you know. Then, and uh, maybe then. a little bit more unhinged as well, less right. Marvel safe, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I, think, I think that, yeah, I'm a little surprised at that, to be honest with you. I was definitely expected to be higher. We definitely hit on the madness, uh, folks at home we we always like to you know look at these these scores from a bird's eye after a little bit of time and this definitely hits that same madness within one episode that uh super mario brothers is four points away from kiss kiss Bang. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's perfect and and listen and you know it. that's what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> you know equally in the same category of worth your time oh, that's funny you know what I mean? yeah no i like that a lot <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it going. It's kind of funny. We're doing some duo movies here. You got you know you got Mario and Luigi. Oh, then you have the two in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, uh-huh. and then you have the kind of the two in our next movie here. Let's just move on to Moneyball, mm. directed by Bennett Miller, mm. and uh, we have we have Brad Pitt, uh, Jonah Hill, mm-hmm. another little duo. Um, how did this fare? Philip Seymour Hoffman as well uh, in there for a little bit. Oh yes, uh, yes, okay. plays. Uh, uh, an excellent role. I always like seeing him on screen. Yeah. Moneyball, uh, this of course is uh, a sports type of, not 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 biopic, but uh, telling the story of a professional in, in the sports management of a baseball team, uh, all historical events, and basically telling the story of how, approaching the procurement of new players, turning a season around, and the pressures of the immense amount of money it takes to sign on your ball players uh, and and maybe going about it in a different way. This is encapsulated very much in the film's mantra that if we play like the Yankees, we're going to lose like to the Yankees. Right, right. Um, this is the director of Foxcatcher and Capote. And I would say I would feel comfortable in calling this definitely the birth of the financial flick as Michael Lewis, uh, the author of Moneyball mm-hmm. uh, uh, book-wise, is also the author of The Big Short and and I think really cracked the seal for entertaining economics on screen. Sure, sure. Um, That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. I never yeah. Really thought about that quite like that before. Yeah, and, and I, I think definitely cracked some of um, wanting to take his, his books, his kind of, um, you know, Know, digestible economics, entertaining economics, and putting that on screen. I think this definitely cracked it. Technically, 
there might be some others now come to think of it now that I'm talking about it. But I, I think Moneyball definitely cracked that because of its uh, award season uh, nods uh, and definitely the star of the show being Brad Pitt. I think, thank God, Brad Pitt is in this uh, because... Hmm. It's the the first quarter of this film is really not the most engaging, and I'll, I'll be one hundred percent honest here, folks. Uh, Tom is well well aware that I'm maybe not the biggest sports fan. I'm not the biggest baseball fan specifically, uh, so maybe some of the initial uh, draw that there may be for the historical context of this team getting to the finals and then losing and then having to recover after that loss for a year where do you go I think there is some real enjoyment for the sports doc side of that to understand the historical significance of these players in their career this is going I forget actually when what year this takes place in in the film but uh, it, regardless, as far as what we're looking at there, there is some enjoyment uh, in that first half. I think for maybe those audience members that don't know the historical significance of these teams and these players moving from team to team, uh, I think Brad Pitt saves the show uh, because otherwise I think it would be pretty boring. And hmm. uh, that that definitely showing some personal bias to the subject matter in this. Uh, I do think this ties into my main criticism in the film, which we'll get into just a moment then. So even supporting cast though, like Jonah Hill, Jonah's really not great in this. I don't think this is down a bit. does he? Yeah. This is before he found his Wolf of Wall Street magic that he's really jiving with the other side. Yeah. He's he's coming out with this slew, I don't know about slew, but a a decent number of movies where it's like, oh, he's got some chops. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he's just kind of playing a nerd in this. Uh, obviously, this being historical, there maybe needs to be a seriousness uh, or some brackets to what the actor can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that's that's in the appreciation of, of what they're doing on screen. I think it does little to create a volley on screen between Brad and Jonah, and definitely Jonah with anyone else as well. Oh, okay. Uh, Brad is the... Is, is, is the he's the really holding there. it and it's a shame that he doesn't have anyone else to w- work with to, mm-hmm. to, to have that you know his level back and forth yeah. absolutely yeah. absolutely and for Jonah Hill being the main supporting cast to to both the story and and the scenes that were shown on screen it was a little bit disappointing because there's almost no moment in this film that I say wow that, that was some great acting it all <laughs> it, it's all almost just like, Brad oh. tossing him balls, and you know, and then you know, and not being tossed back. So it's very so. much just Jonah Hill just playing a bit of a, a, like, a, a like a numbers guy, nerd. Yeah, yeah, and felt very one note for that. Reason. Okay, sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, maybe I wouldn't criticize that if it, you know, if it wasn't something Oscar nominated, if it wasn't something that was so revered uh, in in the last couple of years, uh, and definitely again the start of these type of financial flicks that have come about. But that's that's just for me. As you go as you progress through the film though, you add in Philip Seymour Hoffman, you add in a young Chris Pratt you know, slowly and slowly it becomes more engaging. And from there, the traction of the plot as well, the breakthrough in the approach of how they're procuring players, how the story is unfolding mm-hmm. to craft a team in a very new way, is it, it slowly becomes much more engaging in a, in, a, in a very good way. I would say as a little bit of a knock, it I, I would say this this lead-up period, it really doesn't reach that full gallop until 120 minutes in. Uh, and if anything, I would consider 
it more of a solid movie than a great movie for that reason, uh, just because there's so much time of build up and build up. And again, the appreciation there for baseball fans, I have no doubt that there's there's this historical significance of these yeah. teams, yeah. these players, you know, the 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 professionals they're referencing. For me, though, that felt like just very slow build up. I obviously knew when they were calling to someone because mm-hmm. you know the camera hangs, you know, they say first and last name, you know, but. It took a while for the film to reach a full gallop. I think once it hits that full gallop, dialogue is a serious, serious highlight. Uh, it sounds odd in parts, but it sets a very realistic tone. Okay. Especially when you have Brad Pitt in the room with a planning committee of old baseball heads, and he has to kind of rock their their thinking of how this is done and what they're going after. Uh, I think Brad Pitt is a perfect antagonizer in that uh, in those moments. Okay. Okay. He's almost playing a, a similar kind of um, a similar kind of Fight Club role, if you will, uh, but obviously toned into the baseball <laughs> world. You know, he is an aggressor. He's uh, he's he's trying to shake things up, and I think that's probably the most enjoyable beats of it. That's present in that first hour and twenty minutes for sure. I think once again, it just does not hit home until that hour and twenty mark, hmm. uh, which was a, a little bit tough for me, uh, as I. You know, as I want to focus as a criticism, uh, I want to convey that the cinematography is good, but it it hits on a a classic area for me that I don't feel like it matches the script, and I don't find it striking to assist the script. This is what I was referring to before, that I, I, uh, I'm surprised that I was not more engaged. If the cinematography, if the shots on screen are going to portray a mood, a feeling, be matched with the script, uh, and be matched with what we as an audience member are walking away with, above all else, I think I mentioned it on a, on a previous episode, it comes down to a very simple question for me. Why are we seeing this interpreted as a motion picture on screen versus any other art form, where clearly this was a book already? Right, right, right. I don't find the cinematography in this very engaging. I find it very safe by the books. And for me, especially if I'm going to consider something as an Oscar film, that if we're going to have actors on screen and given a platform to act, we need to have that information, have those moments presented creatively. So it was very, I mean, not to use the same phrase, but one note kind of, Mm -hmm. just like you said Mm -hmm. about um, Jonah's acting. It, Mm -hmm. it, It. my thing was, was it if if it didn't get the Oscar buzz, would you be looking at it more fondly? Like, are you like, are you not because you can't knock it because of critics mm-hmm. found it to be a certain way? Sure, you sure. know what I mean. But like, as far but were you actually sitting there? Were you sitting there saying why did the cinematography get like critically reviewed and or just like well received when it's really nothing? Sure, and it's middle of the road. Or were you sitting there thinking? There's something up with the cinematography being boring. It's it's, it's ruining. Yeah. It, it, there's so much more excitement that it could be bringing, and it's not. That was that kind of where you were. Absolutely, at? it's it's in it's always in the observation, guys. I really, uh, other than maybe some research projects and whatnot, and, and diving into directors or specific talent, uh, it, it, I always try to just observe the film. Right. What is the what film is giving the, me? Yeah, what is yeah, the, yeah. what is what is coming Good. at me? Uh, and when I notice that in 
the very clearly scene set up to be an acting platform for Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. When those are not presented engagingly, that now triggers me. Let me see who the cinematographer on this. Right, the cinematographer right, right. on this is Wally Pfister, uh, and surprisingly, he did The Dark Knight. You know, among many, many wow. others. So once again, now that as a criticism is leaving me scratching my head a little bit, something that I'm looking into more after the film and after this, but. That's more so the evidence to my initial observation, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, hundred percent. And it's it's a shame that while you're sitting there, there's when something doesn't click with the mm-hmm. way a film is shot, it really it can it sucks kind of mm-hmm. because you have something where it could it, it could you know it could, you really could be bumping it up a couple notches. The mm-hmm. movie could be hitting on, on multiple levels, and for it to like for the cinematography to be lacking, it's mm-hmm. just it's a shame. It's mm-hmm. just a shame. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it's just. It doesn't detract from the script. It doesn't detract from the performances, but it certainly doesn't add to it. Where it detracts from the overall picture, though. Exactly from the motion picture. Exactly, yeah. and and I think that's a really big thing for me because if this movie is going to be the dialogue and going to be the performances and you know the the historical significance of the story, all of that needs to be interconnected to why is this a movie? Why are we making this a movie versus a sports mm-hmm. documentary or something like that? You know uh, yeah, I mean? absolutely, uh, you know, absolutely. Um, so that that's. That's where I, I kind of land with that. I, I think uh, overall, though, there are basically kind of three spheres of enjoyment uh, for this movie. We have the the baseball side, the statistics, economic side, and then the drama. Uh, I think you know the baseball. Very fair. I don't have the largest appreciation for, especially for the insider player trading, hearing names in the script. Yeah, you're kind of gonna... new to it. You're kind of hearing it for the first time. Exactly. Right, right. So I don't maybe have a, an appreciation for that, but I can also recognize it as good, uh, as a lot of care being put mm-hmm. into the callbacks for uh, you know this jumping forward, or jumping back, rather, uh, and maybe having some audience members to say, oh, wow, that's right. He was on that team before he went to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah it, uh, that Kind of fun stuff, and yeah, I don't want to say Easter eggy, but but yeah, yeah, I think it does play beyond Easter eggs. To be fair, though, because it's uh, it does play into the the stakes of what they're up against that they're losing serious serious players, right, right, and they're in a crisis mode after coming so close to victory. So when it comes to the stats, the 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 economic side of it, I, I really like that as a topic. Uh, I think it works here, and I can say the best moments of the film are when the brazenness, the the uh, stubbornness of Brad Pitt's character is now backed up by stats, now backed up by the science of it. I okay. think that is very entertaining to watch because you know he's got something in his sleeve then. Right. So uh, did it feel like you're just on you're on a journey with Brad Pitt? Does it kind of just feel like you're hanging out with yes. Brad Pitt in the movie and you're yes. rooting for him? He's become kind of your friend, yes. right? And you're, yes. and you're just on this journey with him. Absolutely. Is that kind of how? Okay. Absolutely. Um, but as far as that kind of last that last kind of area of enjoyment that I think you can kind of approach this film with is is the drama and I and, and unfortunately I think that's where I can take or leave it uh, there's there's more exciting done with Philip Seymour Hoffman's character as a as a side character with a plotline of a contract dispute uh, more done <laughs> in the drama of that than Brad Pitt's character I think the drama that is interwoven to what may be driving him towards you know, fighting fighting the forces around him to do something drastic, it just did not land. I hmm, okay. I think uh, it's it's a shame because I 
I think a balancing act of a movie like this needs to have some salt and pepper to it. It needs to have some personal engagement. Why is this character so compelled? Why are we pushing this here? We talked about not too long ago, but King Richard. You know, yep. what are the forces yeah. beyond the conflict we see on screen? What are the forces behind the forces? I think it, it falls a little short, and especially where the ending of this film, no spoilers, of course, but ties in so much to where what events of our character's life led to his decision making process i think it 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 just ends a little weak for me but uh that in combination with the cinematography and, and creating kind of kind of a question in my head uh of a lackluster portrayal of the drama not necessarily the drama itself but portrayal of the drama i think that has me uh, a little bit torn on this one i cannot deny though there are a lot of great performances on screen i think the story is dynamite and again once you step into the appreciation of the fun statistics, the fun economics behind this in combination with baseball that so many people can have a, an appreciation mm-hmm. for. I think it does It does work. Uh, I just would not call this a must-watch uh, or something that you need to you know, race for. Right, right, so, yeah. With that said, we are going to go ahead and give Moneyball a 66 Okay, yeah, 66 is pretty good. It's a pretty good score still. People have to realize, again, uh, we'll just reiterate sometimes just that, you know, with our ratings, we're not like some of the other ratings where Rotten Tomatoes gives out, you know, hundreds and 95s like they're candy sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of ridiculous how, like, it, it, it's just, it's a movie has to be quite good to crack the 80s, and it has to be one of the best films ever to, 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 be, to be a 90. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you know, Godfather 2 has a 95. It's our highest rated because, you know, what we're saying is there's only 5% wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, that movie only has an issue like 5% of the time, which is nothing. Sure. Which sure. is almost nothing. But right. the fact is, we can't go and rate it a 100 because what if tomorrow another movie comes out that's better? It's mm-hmm. just like, how do you actually mm-hmm. justify that? And so, even, even approaching it from the rating side, you know, what is worth your time? Right, uh, right. Practically yeah. speaking. And that's why, I'm so, like, that's why I say 66 is actually a pretty good score because, mm-hmm. like, good movies go in the 60 category. Absolutely. When you go look at the other guys, and 60 is automatically. So many people live, like, when you go on like Rotten Tomatoes or I don't know IMBD or something mm-hmm. like that, it's ridiculous because anything below a seventy-five, it's almost like not worth your time mm-hmm. or below seventy, and that's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so we're a little bit more. Uh, I don't know what you call it. We're a little bit more realistic in we're, just films and saying like, yeah, this is a good movie. Yeah, like, I think I think the criticism has to examine everything that every other critic looks at, but the the difference here is that. All these movies are in the ballpark of the same amount of time that you would invest into it. How much of that time is really worth spending with this right, movie? Right, yeah, yeah. So 66 is still a, pr- a pretty damn good score. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what were you saying? Yeah, I was going to, kind of in my head, I was like, I think he's going to go for 65 on this one. <laughs> the way you were saying, because the story's good and everything <laughs> like that. There great. is mostly good acting, you know, besides besides maybe the Jonah Hill. Right, right. Um, and then so 65, I think that, or 66, that's a great score, really, mm-hmm, for, mm-hmm. for that film. And that brings it down from kind of that hype that it has gotten. And I yeah. don't know why. I don't understand why it got so much hype at the time. Yeah. Maybe it's just because the book did really well. Mm-hmm. And then you have Brad Pitt starring in it. Mm-hmm. It was a big, you know what I mean? And it's the first of these type of flicks. I think that's yeah. a perfect yeah. example. Of we're watching in the here and now. Maybe this is not one of the best of the author's interpretation, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sure. Or, or, or adaptations of, of, of his books. So, But no surprise that Brad Pitt kind of carries it through. Brad Pitt could be so yeah. wonderful to watch on screen. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. All right, so that's Moneyball, folks. Let's keep it going now uh, to a 2021 release, but it's kind of out of theaters now. Mm-hmm. Uh, this came out about six months ago, and this is Demonic. Yes. So missed the buck on this one. Would have liked to covered it. I <laughs> Tying once again into what's worth your time, I don't think anyone was seeing this film uh, in theaters. <laughs> so uh, it's it's may may have we may have not had uh, a a really good approach to uh, saving you some time if it's something bad and and unfortunately uh, I will I will lean into the fact that this is this is not great. Uh, Demonic is a movie about a mother in a coma that her daughter is estranged with her and they need to connect them over a virtual world, uh, a, a experimental, an experimental virtual kind of reality hangout space. The director, of course, is Neil Blomkamp. Uh, and back after years uh, of working not in a mainline production, but with his side project of Oats Studio, I think Oats Studio has been doing some interesting sci-fi stuff as far as short films and and sci-fi technology, or not sci-fi technology, but technology in telling sci-fi stories <laughs> through film. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, I, I think I think he, he some of what we see out of Oates hits that magic that we see in Blomkamp's earlier work, like District Nine and uh, a little bit in Chappie. Uh, but this film, now a feature length film that he's finally taking a stab at, at feature length films once again, uh, it falls short, and I think it, it definitely falls short because it is not concerned with any of what Blomkamp's usual brand in brand is. Um, in this socioeconomic spin that District 9 is absolutely known for, Chappie is absolutely known for, yeah. Elysium, you know. It, it, yeah, it's very, and like you just want to give another shout out to Oat Studio there. Mm, yes. If, if people go and check out Oat Studio, go to the website, you get, you totally, this guy has a feel. This guy has a DNA about mm-hmm. him. And switching that DNA and completely like going into something completely different. I mean, we're talking, we're going. Uh, from that District 9 and, mm-hmm. and Chappie kind of, which is, it just has that feel. They're very similar in ways. And a lot of, like, Oat Studio stuff is very similar. Yeah, like, exactly. It, it, it's very down the line, this is what these people do. Mm-hmm. To go from mm-hmm. that to, like, a horror sci-fi type thing or horror drama as <laughs> yeah. well. It's, it's, it's strange. It's a little it, strange. It is very strange. And the the technology driving this, maybe why this team tackled this, is this virtual world. The virtual world is is kind of stylized as a dream world and uh, is presented as kind of a low-res mo-capping. Um, it is the look of it, the actual fidelity of the graphics on screen of this digital, this digital interpretation of our main characters is intentionally low-res uh, and stylized in some ways. I think... I would like to think Blancamp looked at this much like he probably looked at a lot of what he did with Weta Works and, and prop technology mm-hmm. and whatnot and said, uh, this is exciting. I want to work with this in a story. Unfortunately, it I cannot shake the feel that this was a COVID baby. Uh, this was uh, uh, okay. uh, a lot of small set production and... I don't know. I, I would challenge anyone to look at this film, and, and, and this is almost like textbook case for how those type of films look hmm. uh, and in a low end. Okay, um, sure. So I, I think there, there could be some, some 
normal inspiration for how Blancamp would approach a story like that. Uh, a little bit of the history with this is that it was on my radar because I, I really do like him as a director and, and a sci-fi director. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This was it can definitely be categorized as sci-fi horror. Comes out and, and is critically panned. I think this may be one of the most panned movies in 2021. Uh, okay. I then give it a shot uh, around uh, around October for what we're looking into, you know, Halloween movies and whatnot. And once again, I'm kind of, I have a rude awakening that this film is not what I think it is and, and really quite one note and schlocky and mm. kind of just straight up bad, uh, which I really am sad to say because I think Blodkamp is one of those that, can inspire a very interesting look to on screen, uh, and that is always to grab my attention, to look at a, d- a design team and the passion they put into something that is overwise, uh, uh, you know, overall just a, a set dressing for what the story is taking place in, but th- there was such a creative approach to the technology in his films. I feel this is the, the, the virtual world that is produced in this. It's used a handful of times. It certainly looks a certain way. On top of that, I don't think it looks good either. Mm. It's stylized, but I don't think it not looks good. Not in a good, good. way. We're, we're used to for him. It's certainly not used in a thematic way where... Uh, again, not the best movie, but a chappy. It has a story to the robot. Yeah. It had, you know, this again, this this socioeconomic kind of approach that he says, you know, there, there's there's a a story in the society around the technology. Uh, District Nine, of course, that being the aliens and the, and the weapons in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, it's just there's nothing to it there. It's just they have to use this. This is a vehicle to get in the mother's mind, basically. Mm, yeah, that is so. that is pretty disappointing. Yeah. You know, and believe me, I wish there was a symbolic reason or anything like that. I, I really was digging deep. I was, <laughs> I was paying attention, <laughs> folks. I, I just don't think there's, there's anything there. So, the cast has a lot of no names, uh, and while performances are passable, uh, there's really nothing special here. Once again, combine that with a particularly bad script in the final act. I mean, the final act has a wild script. Wow. Uh, he wrote it too, by the way. Uh, did he? Yeah. <sighs> That's weird. It's very strange. Yeah. It's just like we're just used to him. He just... We're used to him up to a certain standard, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And and definitely, you know, I'll even say as a bias, rooting for him, too. Oh, absolutely. I think yeah, what he does yeah. with uh, with amateur... or well, not amateur film, but more shorter film projects with Oats. Uh, yeah, I like love that. Yeah, like lower budget. What can yeah. you do on a lower budget? It's great. Yeah. And again, uh, people check out Oats Studio. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. I wish maybe he took this time and gathered maybe two or three interesting technologies in film production and added them into it instead of this one-note thing. Sure. And, and again, it especially just goes nowhere. I, I will say, if there's anything cementing this score, it is that final act, though, because in, in, in addition to a bad script, in addition to uh, some twists that make absolutely no sense uh, and have no thematic tie to it either... Uh, it, it results in a pretty bad experience, and even if you were appreciating the the virtual world and the approach to it as as kind of rough as it looks, it is stylized. Even if you were engaged with that one, that goes nowhere, and then it just 
it, it really turns into kind of a sour experience uh, at the very end for the the type of the type of twist it tries to put uh, tries to put in front of the audience, and then more importantly, uh, you know what the what the script does with some of the lines, it's just cheesy lines uh, they come out of nowhere. I mean, it'd be one thing if it was in the film earlier on you know but it, it just like slaps you out of nowhere i forget, <laughs> I forget what was the one line but i was just like what <laughs> it's not good but overall boring and not because there's lack of scares uh it's lack of theming uh it's lack of engagement wow, okay. you know yeah. there's lack of follow-through there's mm. lack of tying and the tech the horror the drama none of it connects in a meaningful way i would compare this to something like the night house where that's very much still slow, but it is oozing connective threads that keep you engaged throughout the film and make the scares hit home. Uh, if you're going to go with something slower paced like this, the scares have to mean something for the characters. Oh, where It's got to be worth it. Exactly. We're, we're hanging around. You've got to give us something. Exactly. And, and I mean, this was just not worth it on, unfortunately, so many levels. <laughs> Sounds like all the levels. <laughs> yeah. Neil, I, I really, I can't stress enough, rooting for you for the next one, for the next feature length, and hopefully just a kind of a victim of a rough production schedule with COVID. We're going to go ahead and give Demonic a 24. Ooh, yeah. Stinker. Yeah. 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 Was, yeah, that's a that's a big shame. You're probably, I mean, just because when you see him in a project like that, you just assume it's gonna just be at a certain standard, and absolutely. it just it seems like it was lacking everywhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and uh, and sometimes you can pull actors out of nowhere. I mean, District Nine, uh, what they did with the actors and everything like that, yeah. it was a relative obscurity for the, the majority of the cast for absolutely. the most part. You know, yeah. And uh, but boy, you got to do it right. Mm-hmm. You got to do it right in order mm-hmm. if it's gonna work. Yeah. I, I think it's the the classic balancing act that it has to be script and performance, mm-hmm. uh, and neither are here. Yeah, that's a shame. All right, so twenty four demo- de- for d- demonic. Yeah, that's a shame, but we'll leave that there. And before we go on, we have one more movie, folks, and that's the one that's kind of just just released now playing. Uh, but before that, as you know, we're going to take our break here and do our producer segment. We just want to remind everybody we are going off the value for value model here. So Vin and I host the show. You all help produce the show monetarily. And basically, you can get an actual producer credit. Go to the dailyratings.com and go to the donations tab. And the idea is, you know, if you are finding value from the podcast and our website, could you give us back some value through uh, a donation? And you can donate whatever amount you want. Uh, you could set up for a weekly, a monthly, something like that, or a one-time. Uh, it's really whatever you want. You can also put in a note and be anonymous if you want also. And, but, but when you donate, we'll read your note on air. And you can you can say anything you want to us. You can be as harsh. You could be, you could, you, I mean, you can say, believe it. You don't have to praise us. Right. recommend Super Mario Brothers out of 53? It's true. You can hate us so much that it's like, I'm going to give them money just so I can get my voice heard. Yeah, and that's fine. And yeah. We, yeah, exactly. Uh, but the whole idea of it is, you know, we're staying away from spon- like the corporate sponsors and everything like that. And basically it's... It's a direct line to you all, you know, so if we're not seeing anything coming our way, kind of, you know, if the producership is low, we know something's not right. We need to kind of, you know, do something different, mix it up a little bit. And we know, hey, we're just doing film reviews here. It's not that all important. And that's why it's just something little. If you you would just stop by dailyratings.com mm-hmm. donations tab. We appreciate it so, so much. And uh, with that, we'll move on now to our last film. We're going to do the now playing film. It's Spencer. 
mm-hmm. uh, directed by Pab- uh, Pablo Lorraine, mm-hmm. and and we have Kristen Stewart being talked up uh, quite a lot on yes. this one. Yes, quite a lot. And what did we get? Was it just a Kristen Stewart show, or was there more depth to it than that? Uh, it's definitely Kristen Stewart's show, which is good, and I think she's doing a good job. You you hit the nail on the head, though, because this landed on my radar, not because I follow the director, not because I'm too interested in Princess, Princess Diana as a subject, but uh, it was something that there was getting a lot of pre-award season buzz uh, for Kristen Stewart's performance. I had no attachment to this director. This is director from uh, that did that did Jackie, and once again, kind of up to bat to tell another female lead biopic, which I think was an interesting matching. He's done some other uh, works in between, but that's what jumped out to me for his filmography. That I think um, these films probably could be, you know, sisters uh, in, in that kind of capacity. Right, right. Uh, this is a film. I think it's very important to note that this is a uh, a fictional imagining of a period in time between uh, some public fallout with Princess Diana and 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 the royal family and basically kind of a, a blackout period with the media where otherwise the media almost had a finger on the heartbeat of every move of Princess Di- yeah, Diana yeah. at this time. Uh, so it's kind of an imagining of what's going on in Diana's head during this time. I think for me, as far as Kristen Stewart, I, I mean, we've talked about in the past, uh, not a not a fan of her at all. Uh, I don't think she's done the. <laughs> I, don't I think like her. I she's yeah. I I really don't like her in most of her performances, right. and yet I continue to be. It's like oh, Kristen Stewart's in it. Like right, I'm right. excited. <laughs> yeah, and I think for me, I, I I while I may have not seen her do a similar kind of platform jump to uh, a more serious actor like we see with Rod- Robert Pattinson. I think they're bound to be compared to each other as far as the acting uh, in, in Twilight and then where they are now. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I am always a fan of giving actors a, a shot, especially when they are going for a more dramatic role. You know, this may have not been a movie that I would see unless it was Kristen Stewart having a turnaround moment in her career. Uh, I would compare this very much to a Dallas Buyers Club uh, or True Detective for McConaughey uh, in that Hmm. I think we have finally a moment where there's some method acting approach that's coming into play. Uh, There is a lot of of appreciation towards uh, habits and body language uh, in the performance. And in that sense, I think Stuart does a pretty great job uh, as Princess Diana. Um, There is certainly a very, very conscious approach to uh, mannerisms with this uh, head movements. Was she overdoing it? Tough, tough for me to say. But Historically, well, that is. Oh, yeah, because yeah, no. I'm, I'm not really a Royals fan, or you know, what I no, mean, no, no, or... that's that's fine. But more so when you're sitting there and you're when you're sitting there and watching the movie, are you? Is it on your mind where it just seems like you're? The, the, some people just you take Kate Planchette and mm. she can just play a character and mm-hmm. she can kind of do it to the nines and it comes off as really natural mm-hmm. with her with Kristen Stewart doing this did it come across as at least what she was doing was natural I think in parts I think where it, it shows the Diana we know to be a loving mother for instance mm-hmm. her interaction with her children I think that's where it works it's actually the fictional elements that maybe pushes that boundary I still think it works I still think it's okay. not trying too hard uh, but I could definitely see where 
historical fans of Diana and you know uh, of the royal family. If this is if this is your jam, man, uh, I think that this this film could be upsetting for a lot of reasons. A lot of this portrayal kind of portrays. Diana as a nut job, uh, which I, hmm. I, okay, you know, I don't think is the case. The research after the fact with this one is that this is absolutely a fictional approach to those couple days before her split up uh, with her husband. I forget, is it Charles or William? I think it's Charles. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a, you know, <laughs> I mean, we're not paying attention to Buckingham, right, right, here, right. You know? <laughs> but um, you know, there, there's a, a lot there that is done psychologically uh there are a lot of surreal segments in this film and for me who has no appreciation for the truth or how diana really was uh, i enjoyed that i could very well easily say that could make people hate this film because i think it does make her look a little bit uh like a nut job I think it is a little unfair and maybe even mean-spirited in how it portrays her, the pressures of high society and how she's dealing with that maybe internally. Mm-hmm. And the bottom line is it's definitely not a, a non-fiction approach because we have no idea what goes behind cl- closed doors. And the film actually has a healthy distance to that because they're not naming a lot of people by first and last name, probably over maybe some fear of slander or legal action from you know something so delicate as the royal family because there are definitely some villains casted within the royal family in this film to create the drama within this Christmas type of stretch of uh, of of the royal family and, and what's going on there. So okay, I, I think with that portrayal again, it works for me. Uh, I think it's important to note that the imagining of what happens in this time uh, is by no means factual, uh, but I think where that drama, that fictional approach, and that very surreal approach to Diana's mind and what 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 the type of pressure she's going under uh, and how she's dealing with that with a little bit of rebellion within the royal family, with the little that she can do, it is matched so well with the cinematography. This is total opposite end of the spectrum to what I commented on with Moneyball uh, just in this very episode, folks. Uh, The cinematography here, here is a huge highlight because it is very close it is very paranoid, and I think it is just such a perfect match for the type of panic we probably have all experienced when we have a family obligation we don't want to do. We're right, right. in the bathroom. We're taking our time. You know, <laughs> it, it, it takes that, and it, it really does match it so perfectly because shots are very close uh, to to Kristen Stewart in her performance, and I once again not only being a thematic pairing of why is this? Why are we seeing this? This on screen, uh, it does hit the bar or or, or, or uh, hit the mark on giving Stuart a wonderful platform for acting and showing off yeah. this approach to method acting. So the, yeah, the cinematography is very uh, complementary yes. to, to the depth of it and the feeling, the emotion they're trying to get across, and just because it's so about her. Yes, right? yeah. so about her. Yeah, and so about the uh, the madness that mm-hmm. she the the pressure uh, the familial pressure that she's feeling uh, of of high society and the royals the, that drama especially because that's the fictional element right there. Right, uh, her kind of 
going a little mad because of that. I think it's sold only because of the cinematography, and that's that's a really big highlight for that reason, because otherwise, I think there would be a lot of gripes with this film. Kristen Stewart would probably still be doing the same approach uh, and same a same acting style, so I think the merits would be there, but I think the film would be much worse because it would be this almost jarring fictional approach to what I think a lot of people know Diana not to be a nutcase. Right, you know? right, right. Uh, very loving, very giving person. So, And again, that's me coming from even a sidelines approach of this. But regardless, uh, definitely a highlight there. I think as a glimpse into the pressures of high society, that is what this film aims for mm-hmm. uh, in telling this imagining of these these uh, this short stretch of time that basically results in, in Diana falling out with the family. But it doesn't quite land. The interactions in this film are so small scale. We're talking about Buckingham Palace here. There are no moments that Kristen Stewart is given a good, well, maybe I shouldn't say no moments. There is one. But there are very few moments that she is given a volley back and forth with who we actually care about. Instead, the roles that are paired with Diana in the story are that of the workers. They're very small. They're very minute characters in the whole story. Yeah. Yeah. And while definitely there in the script to show that Diana, she is not one of these. She is one of, you know, she she wants to be normal. Sure. She Mm -hmm. does not want the high society. If anything, the high society is making her sick. Right. Uh, So I, I get where that that's positioned but it, it's a little bit of a letdown when the build-up no less probably the antagonist of your story is something so big as the royal family and we're not seeing that across the table or or we're not seeing that in dynamic scenes of conflict instead we are left to some time skips some uh, some jumps around what you think would be the most important and the most engaging moments that the script even builds up and then we jump past a, a period in dinner, and she's now uh, back in the bathroom uh, and alone. Once again, good for Stewart's acting. We're we're really hyper focused on her performance, and we're she's given a huge platform. I think it's good for the story it's trying to tell. I think it's a pretty big letdown to think that the royal family not only has the antagonist in this, mm-hmm. but kind of what you expect out of an Oscar Beatty kind of film like you want you know the the glimpse into the high society right, the period right, yeah. piece it's 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 not there scenes will be built up characters will be referenced we don't see them at all and it's not only that it's because of a jump around in the film so, so. it's very purposely done to keep her isolated it's yeah. this feeling of complete isolation mm-hmm. which i'm sure was with the whole point behind it but mm-hmm. you're wishing that you were getting some more just some more on screen. Yeah. 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 I think my observation is that it definitely fits with the message the film is trying to convey. Definitely the feeling of of paranoia that the film is trying to convey uh, with how she's interacting with royals, but... But but it doesn't necessarily translate to a good film to watch. Yeah, exactly. Okay, sure, yeah. Exactly. I think this film could have been a knockout if we had all of this put there, put forward. Mm -hmm. Maybe take some of the side plots out of the way with with the workers of the family and 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 you know the 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 guards and assistants and chefs and whatnot tone that back a little bit because you really don't need to drive that home so much that she has this connection right. with the lower versus the higher uh, in society and in 
instead replace that with some really dynamic scenes with Charles, with the Queen, and yeah. show them as as this menacing portrait that this film is trying to convey. Not saying that that's the truth or whatever, but yeah. And then you could get that that like what you were saying that volleying you could mm-hmm. get with with Stewart and another big name actor or something absolutely. like that. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. The one sequence that I I, I, I refer to there is there there is one good back and forth with Charles and and, and uh, I forget the actor's name. Uh, he's not. I don't think he's he's super big time. But there there's one decent sequence that there is a back and forth with these characters that is far and few between in this film. And if it had more of that, I mean, I think this film goes from okay, that's an interesting kind of fictional approach, you know, showing the madness of that high-pressure society to show that high-pressure society, show that antagonistic force, Mm -hmm. I think this film goes into a must-watch. But without that, it feels... Oddly small scale for such a large scale subject matter. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, and large scale performance by our, our single. Yeah, exactly. I think that I think that does make sense. Yeah, yeah, uh, but that that really is where my main criticism lies because uh, as as an appreciation of this being an artistic fictional approach to what a character could be going through internally behind the lens of the media that we would know her from, I think it was very interesting. I think uh, Stewart does a great job and I'm excited to see some of the recognition she can get come award season for this however I think there's a serious loss in the if the conflict is going to be sold by our quote-unquote villains on screen or the or, or the forces against Diana on screen we just don't plain see them on screen enough it's a, yeah it's and what it's coming out to be it, it sounds like Everyone will be. Everyone is going to remember uh, Kristen Stewart having a great performance in this mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. No one's going to remember the film itself. Exactly. You know that's uh, what it sounds like. And I think maybe a third is that you'll probably get some outrage from people that love the royal family in the portrayal of how evil oh, they are in this film. Absolutely, it's always going to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I, as as maybe not an appreciator of that, but still kind of knowing some of the history. I thought it was done pretty well. Uh, so, and and again, a particular well, uh, a particular good matching with um, with the cinematography for the message and the feeling it's trying to convey. Just kind of fall short in the scale, uh, and once again, it had me had my head scratching a little bit uh, over is this a COVID production? You know, you never know. I think I can't wait until I don't have to ask that question on on viewing. Yeah, something, uh, yeah, you know? absolutely. Uh, yeah, so. it's gonna be nice to be out of that. Absolutely. So, with that said, excited to see what uh, Stewart uh, has to has to get recognized for come award season. We're going to go ahead and give Spencer a sixty eight. Okay. Yeah, sixty eight. Once again, the good movie, mm-hmm. and just like you said, if if it had a little bit more, if the movie was a little bit bigger. Maybe mm-hmm. we could say, mm-hmm. um, I could see how. You know, it could be bumped up a decent amount, put it in that must-watch. And I, I will always tie it back to, you know, I mean, a lot of what we talk about as far as the criticism here ties into what a normal review is, which the objective of that is how good is this movie? Again, my objective here is how worth your time is this movie? Uh, and I think this is an above-average watch verging on a very good watch but does not crack uh, something that I think everyone needs to be racing to see. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But I mean, when it comes to... It's it's yeah, and it it sounds like it's all it, it is. It's a Chris Stewart movie, is what it comes right? Down right. To be. right. Which hey, right. I mean, if, the, if we've been talking about Oscar bait a lot, I, I've completely failed in trying to avoid that terminology. <laughs> so, uh, 
Uh, I think, uh, you know, it, it's there for her. And, uh, you know, I think if this is a platform very similar to McConaughey that we have a turnaround moment, and, I'm, and I'm we'll excited. see I'm about that. And we'll see about that. I don't know if I necessarily agree with – I would be interested to see the past 10 years of, sure. of, of her work and go back. Because mm. she does so many indie stuff and she's Ooh. a little bit lower radar. Very true. Um, it'd be interesting to actually see some of her performances yeah. as well. Where McConaughey came out and rebranded, a purposeful uh, rebrand. Yes. It took himself very, out of an entire genre, it came back for something. Yeah. It'd be interested to actually go back in that in the past decade, kind of. Mm-hmm. But awesome. Yeah, I think um, good for her. Like you said, it's going to be good for her for in this upcoming award season. I think mm. I think uh, a lot of talk with her and maybe even Lady Gaga on House of Gucci, basically. Oh, come right. Down to, of course, of course. Um, two really great performances mm-hmm. this year mm-hmm. in film. Uh, okay, Vin, is there anything else you'd like to add here, or uh, are we going to be uh, rolling credits? No, I think that's good. Uh, excited to see maybe and, and, and get ahead of the, the ball on some of this award season uh, chatter around films. So hopefully we can hit the mark and be on the same page as the as the Academy. If not, I, you know what? <laughs> when are we all, uh, when is any viewer on the same page as the that's Academy? That's exactly right. That is for <laughs> sure. I almost don't, don't want to be on the page of the, yeah, uh, exactly. with those so. folks over there. But uh, um, all right, Vin, we've Appreciate you stopping by. We'll see you next week. And as for you folks here, we'll go over the movies just one more time. We have the Super Mario Brother movie uh, with a 53%. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with a 57 Moneyball with a 66 Demonic with a 24 And we have Spencer rounding things out here with a 68%. We thank you so much, folks, uh, for producing, for listening. Uh, and we will see you next week on the Daily Ratings. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com, and you can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from our product. You'll get a producer mentioned on the next podcast episode, too. We're going to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from all those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.